Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, we get to hear from Patrick Schreiner on the mission of the Triune God. As you'll hear, Patrick is Associate Professor of New Testament and Biblical Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's the author of a number of books, including The Mission of the Triune God, A Theology of Acts, which releases early next year. Patrick, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Thanks, Hunter. Good to be with you. You are a professor at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and you've got some books out there in the world, and you have a book called The Visual Word, which I'm really excited to check out. You worked with a graphic design artist to kind of help bring big concepts from scripture and to summarize books of the Bible visually. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think our listeners would find that particularly helpful. Yeah, so what I found in class is that when I go over overviews kind of of New Testament or Old Testament books, it's really easy for us to get lost in what's happening in the whole book. And so I started drawing up on the whiteboard just kind of visual outlines of books, and students found it really helpful. They were taking pictures after class and be like, this is so helpful for me. And so I had this little moleskin kind of notebook of all of my outlines, posted a few on Twitter, and people seemed to find them helpful. So a publisher came to me and said, let's make this into a book. And so We just started dreaming and we hired an artist to give overviews of every single New Testament book in a visual way. And I think more and more people are wanting kind of that one snapshot, kind of like Bible project type, like here's what it looks like. So we went with a little bit more of a minimalist design, but I'm hoping that as people kind of open the Bible, if they want to get a sense of the whole picture of Galatians or 1 Corinthians, that they can look at that image. And then we have kind of written summaries of it after that. And the great thing was the artist is a Christian, not that he had to be, but he knew the theology. And so like, I would tell him, let's do this. And then he'd throw in like another cool little image. So I always say Easter egg shall be found. In other words, if you look at the image carefully, you can find little things that he inserted in there that actually speaks to like his knowledge of the Bible too, which was really fun. Now, do you use this with your kids? Because I'm just sitting here thinking like that'd be really helpful for my kiddos who are like five and seven right now. So my wife has used it a lot for women's Bible studies right now. And then we've used it with our kids as we're going over a book right now, reading through Job. So I don't have the Old Testament version out yet. But yeah, <laughs> my, my kids have actually grabbed it. And it's not quite written at the kid level, but they like the images. And so they'll kind of look and say, okay, here's the outline of kind of Matthew. Here's what Matthew's doing. So um, yeah, they've enjoyed it. 
Well, I've realized images are so powerful for children who can't read. You know, it's like that image is what's going to stick in their brain. So we use images a lot at my house with scripture memory and things like that because it just sparks their memory for, okay, here's what we're going to be talking about. So I'm really excited to check that out. But you also have a book on the mission of God, the mission of the triune God, in fact, that's coming out this upcoming year. So this will be airing in December and it's coming out in about a month. And I'm really excited about that because I feel like, you know, we talk a lot about the gospel. And I'm so grateful that conversation revolving around the gospel and everything being so gospel centric is part of the conversation today. And then I'm like, but what does that drive us toward? And so talking about the mission of God here at the end of this series that we've entitled Knowing and Loving God, it's the biggest series ever. I mean, it's been a year, Patrick. Uh, But of course, it can't be small when you're talking about knowing and loving God. And I think there's no better way for us to end that conversation than talking about the mission of God. So can you tell me what is the mission of God? Like when you hear someone talking about that, what exactly do they mean? Yeah, I think there's so many different ways that we can describe it. And so I'll kind of give you a multi-perspectival view on it, because I think there's not one right answer to that, because I think God has revealed himself. In each kind of section of scripture, he can describe it in a different way, because it's a beautiful thing that God's doing. So one way to describe it is the mission of God is simply to make himself known. Like he has communicated with us and he wants to be known. That's why he's revealed himself in the scriptures. And so early church fathers would talk about not so much going to heaven, but what they call the beatific vision, which is seeing God, God's face, basically, like seeing God face to face. So the mission of God is to make himself known and that we, we might be with him forever. So you think of a text like Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a great image, right? Just as the waters cover the sea, someday the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So in terms of like your whole podcast, you've been talking about like, who is God? Well, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill all things. That's his mission. But there's another way to put it too. God's mission is to restore all of creation. So like he is restoring everything. Revelation 21.5, behold, I am making all things new. And so his mission is, is a restoration project. He's rebuilding everything. Another way you could put that in the frame of kingdom is the establishment of his kingdom. That's his mission. And then at Acts, more specifically, God's mission is to spread, I would say, resurrection power and salvation in Jesus's name to all nations. So that's all actually the same thing just stated in different ways. Like the resurrection power of Jesus is here with us now, and it's still to come in one sense. We're waiting for the kingdom to come. But our mission and God's mission here is to spread that new creation, to make himself known. Ah, this is so exciting. And it's also coming on the heels of a conversation with Dr. Robbie Griggs on heaven and hell. And so I'm just really excited for all of this to come together. I'm already laughing at this question because I just can't wait to hear your response. But where is it that we see the mission of God in scripture? Like, where can we look to scripture to see what this wonderful, beautiful mission that you just so well described, what it actually is? Yeah, well, I think the main texts we want to go to are the what we call the covenantal texts, when God has a particular relationship with people. So I think there's a covenant in creation with Adam, and we can see his mission, and this is phrased again a little bit differently, his mission is actually to defeat the serpent there. <laughs> there's going to be an offspring to come, Genesis 3.15, who will crush that head of that serpent. 
And so in one sense, we go to that text and we're like, okay, there's a child coming who's going to defeat evil forever. That's his mission. The whole Testament is set up waiting kind of for that child. You could also go to a text, Genesis 12, Abraham, where God calls that one family out of the rest of the nations and said, I am going to make you a distinct nation that looks like me. And you're going to bless the world through kind of following my law, seeing me, following my commands. You could look at David, the text with David in 2 Samuel 7, where God calls David and he says, I'm going to have a king that sits on the throne that's going to come from you and he's going to sit on the throne forever. And so you can see the mission continues kind of through Adam, Abraham, and David. And then finally you come to Acts and you can see kind of the most famous kind of mission text, which is why I called it the mission of the triune God where he sends us out into the nations in fulfillment of that Abrahamic promise so that we might have the power of the Holy Spirit and and kind of bring that power to others. And so the word that's used there is that we will be witnesses. And that word in Greek is actually martus, which is a martyr, right? That's where we get the term martyr. And so we're to be witnesses. What, What are we witnessing to? Well, we're witnessing to the reality that that king has come. Jesus Christ has come. That offspring has come and he has defeated the serpent and he's bringing in that new creation even now. And so we're witnessing by the power of the Holy Spirit to the reality of the presence of the kingdom. And what you find in Acts is that some people are really excited about that and some people are not and they actually go against that. But the apostles in Acts realize we we must tell of this message. We must tell others about Jesus and what's happened to him. And mainly what they focus on is that resurrection and ascension so that Jesus Christ, he came, yes, he died, but now he's conquered death and they're spreading, as I said earlier, that resurrection life to others. So you think about Acts 3, when Peter and John go into the temple and they heal the lame man, that's spreading resurrection power. And again and again, that term power is used in connection to kind of their deeds and their words. So the power in terms of speaking the gospel and their power in terms of healing and doing miracles. And so really, when you come to the New Testament, you can see that we're supposed to join God on his mission in the recreating of all things. He's primarily doing that work through the Holy Spirit, but he's using us as instruments. And so it's such a helpful reminder for us, like, what are we doing day in and day out We are joining God in his mission to show other people what the new creation looks like. And we fail at that time and time again, right? But ultimately, that's what God's doing. We're telling other people, look, God is making a new city. He's making a new kingdom. He's making a place where there will be no more tears, no more death, no more sadness. And we want you to join in on that. And part of joining in on that is joining the local church now, because that's where the community of of followers of Jesus are gathering. You're bringing it on home for everything. And I'm just trying to figure out, okay, what question am I going to ask next? Because there's so many things going through my mind. But one that I want to address is, you know, when I'm looking at these Old Testament stories, Patrick, I grew up in the church and it's challenging for me now as a 33-year-old reader to see that continued thread weaving its way from Old Testament to New. And then even thinking through like the early church and then the church in the New Testament, like you're talking about in Acts, I guess seeing the 
continuity there and being able to trace that over time. It's a skill that I've definitely grown in in the last decade, but it's something that I, it's a point of growth for me and I know for many of the listeners. So can you speak to that? Like, did God's mission change? And as you so well already said, it did not. But how do we kind of gain the skill of being able to trace that mission through the text, even when we're like down into the weeds? Yeah, the big picture of the mission didn't change, but I think the way that it happens does change in some way. So a good kind of summary, and then I'll kind of dive into it, I think. In the Old Testament, it's a lot more come and see, and in the New Testament, it's a lot more go and tell. I love that. Kind of come in and watch what this community is doing. And it seems in the New Testament, there is a shift where you now go into the nations. The hard question is, why did it shift? Like, why is it like that in the Old Testament versus the New Testament? Well, in the Old Testament, God is establishing a people so that they might look like him and look like this new creation. And so he's saying the other nations, if you actually read the Old Testament, like I was studying the Exodus more recently, and I forgot that Egyptians actually came with the Israelites out of the Exodus and they were like joining them in it. So it's not that the mission to the nations like just begins in Acts and the, the rest of the time they're like, nobody else can join us. No, actually you have a, a bunch of, and you look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, you have Canaanites joining him, you have people, uh, Moabites joining him, so forth and so on. So in the Old Testament, you already have the nations coming into the people of God, into the people of huh. Israel and saying, I want to worship your God as well. But the focus seems to be on, okay, you be distinct, and then they will see and want to join you. And what happens is Israel doesn't do that. They're not distinct. They actually become more like the nations. So Jesus must come and be that distinct human being who follow is faithful to God's covenant in every single way. And then as he is enthroned to the heavens, he is Lord over all the universe. And so he says, now you go and tell. So there is a sense in which the mission, at least the, the way the mission happens, it shifts a little bit. Now he says, go out. Don't just gather together and tell people to come and see, but you actually go out and tell them about what I've done because now I have come. Now I've shown you the way, so forth and so on. So I think that shift comes primarily in the life of Jesus and then he tells us to go and tell. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't gather together. We shouldn't be in churches together. We shouldn't encourage one another. But it does mean that we should have an outward focus. And I think sometimes we're constantly tempted to say, okay, we're just going to gather in our community. We're going to encourage one another, which is all good. We're going to hear the word preach. But we forget that God is giving people time to repent. Like the reason he hasn't returned to establish his kingdom is to give people time to hear about him. And that's really our main job here now. And so we have to go and tell whether that's in our neighborhoods. I'm not just saying overseas. I'm talking about like your neighbors, your schools, your friends, your pickleball club, tennis club, whatever it is, whatever you do, that's what you're supposed that's where you're supposed to go and tell. And then uh, you asked about the early church and now. I mean, there's so much we could say, but, you know, in the early church, from what I've read, the Christian community grew so rapidly at the beginning because they were a distinct culture from the world. And I think there's a sense in which we've lost that. So Tim Keller, I love how he talks about how the early church cared for the poor. They had a strict sexual ethic. They didn't abort their babies. And they were unified across ethnic lines. And for us, at least like in the American system, that speaks to like <laughs> left or right issues. And Keller's like the community of God actually brought those things together. And people looked at that community and they said, 
I can't see another community like that where there's love and there's care, but there's also rules like you can't do this. We're not going to do this to our children and we're not going to, they said, share the bed with other people, right? Mm -hmm. And so there is a sense in which the early church, I think, grew so rapidly because it was so distinct from other groups at that time. And it's a challenge for all of us, but maybe we've lost some of that distinction from the rest of the culture. We look sometimes, I think, so much like the culture that you come into the church and there's nothing distinct there. There's nothing new. And what we need to continually come back to is Jesus is calling us to be different than the world around us. And so we, we could get more into in terms of like acts and the growth of the church and all that if you want to. But I think in the early church, that's one thing we could point out. Mm, that's such a helpful exhortation and just so challenging personally, because it's like, you know, we can look at other people and say, well, they could do this better. But certainly I can think of a whole host of ways that I could do that better, testify to God's grace in my life and to continually seek to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, continue to walk and grow in holiness. I'm very interested to hear you speak on this in light of having written basically a whole book on on the book of Acts. And one of the things I love that you pointed out in the introduction is that there is no book that makes more mention of the Holy Spirit than the book of Acts. And so I'd love to hear you talk about the role of each member of the Trinity in the mission of God. I'm really excited in particular to hear about the role of the Holy Spirit, because as we've talked about in this series, that's often a part of the conversation that we tend to neglect. So could you talk about that? So one of the things when you come to Acts is that that I notice is that we often talk about mission, but we forget whose primary mission this is. So the the title of this book is intentional. That this is God's mission, and we're joining Him. It's not the it's not the other way around. So He kind of as we began this podcast, He has had a mission from time before time, from time of creation, to spread His glory throughout the whole earth, to defeat the serpent, to bring in the kingdom. And what we also forget is if God has a mission, well, then it's the triune God that has a mission. And so a lot of times we're like, well, God has a mission, but we forget we, as Christians, one of the most distinctive things about us is we believe God is one in three persons. And what we find in the New Testament is that although they have unity of will, so they all want the same thing, each person of the Trinity has one will in this sense, but they have different functions. And so if you look at, I'm going to pitch over to Ephesians and I'll come back to Acts, but in Ephesians 1, it's the Father who predestines, it's the Son who redeems, and it's the Spirit who seals. That's helpful for us because they have different, in some way, like economies of what they do. So the Father, he plans this while the Son accomplishes, and then the Spirit makes it actually happen in our hearts in, that, in another sense. If you use kind of that paradigm, you can come to Acts and see... God has ultimately planned this whole thing. And I think this is important for us because it's not like we have an angry God up there at us or an angry God who is angry at us or angry at the sun and saying, oh, I'm going to punish all this sin. No, God's plan from creation was to bring redemption. And that was through his son. And the son accepted that mission. And so in Acts, you have a lot of language about this is the plan of God. This is his will. It was the Lord's will to crush him. It was the Lord's will that he might be raised from the dead. Actually, God raised him from the dead. So this all stems from the father, but then it's the son who accomplishes that on the earth. So the the sermons and acts keep on going back to Jesus Christ and what he's done here on the earth, how he lived the perfect life, how he died the death that we should have died. 
how he's been raised from the dead and how he ascended to the heavens. But then Peter in his Pentecost sermon, this is where the spirit comes in, says, now the spirit has come. And why has the spirit come now at this time at Pentecost? Well, it's because Jesus has pierced that barrier between heaven and earth. As the God man, he came down, right? As the true God man. And now he's brought humanity back up to God. And the barrier between heaven and earth has been split. So now the spirit of Jesus comes down and he lives inside us to empower us in that mission. So we've been watching the show The Chosen. I think a lot of times we're tricked into thinking, man, I really wish I just lived when Jesus was around, right? Like everybody wants that. But Jesus says in John, it's better if I go away and the spirit comes to you. And I've always been like, are you sure? Like, it's better because (laughs) I would really like to see him, though. (laughs) I would love to be with Jesus bodily right now. Like, that would be great. And I know that's the end state. But according to the scriptures, it's better if Jesus goes away because there's a sense in which he can reside within us by the spirit and actually form us and form everyone. Jesus was limited physically like in terms of where he could travel by his body. But now we have the spirit and the spirit resides in believers in Asia, China, America, South America. And so the spirit comes and the spirit actually brings us the presence of Jesus so that we might spread the presence of Jesus. And so the father has planned this, this redemption project, the son accomplished Mm -hmm. it, and now the spirit applies it. Mm. That is so good and so helpful. And yeah, we've talked about that in this series because we've had conversations about the Trinity and about the Spirit. And it's just really encouraging to me because I totally was in that camp that you just referenced where I'm like, man, I just really would love to like learn from Jesus or maybe even just be back in the day where I could just, you know, hang out with Paul, (laughs) like something just closer to the time of Jesus. But it just really encourages me, especially as a mother, you know, when we're talking about this mission of God and when we're talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit resides in me, it's just such a personal thing for me because there are a lot of times throughout my day where I'm just down into the nitty gritty of serving my children. And I can so easily lose sight of the mission of God. And I also forget that I have access to the Holy Spirit who resides in me, who's going to help me to do the things that I want to do to be able to testify to God's grace in my life to the people who are right in front of me. So this is a really personal conversation for me. And I know so much of that has to do too with remembering and rehearsing what is true. And we know what's true through God's word. So can you talk about the role that the word of God plays Mm -hmm. in the mission of God? Yeah. So his word, it's in Acts, it's so interesting because the word actually becomes an agent of the triune God. The word actually begins to act upon people, which, you know, you're bringing it back to even mothering or fathering. The word kind of Jesus, you know, talks about it in the gospels about that seed that goes in us and then it sprouts and it grows up in the same way acts speaks of like in acts 6 7 the word of god continued to increase that's that's a weird way to put that if you actually think about it the word grew basically Mm. is what he's saying like how does a word grow well they're taking this theology all the way back from genesis remember when god created by his word and then things grew up out of the land and so Acts 12, 24 says the word of God increased and it multiplied again. Like how does the word multiply? But the author Luke is getting across is that God's word is so tied to who he is 
that it actually becomes an agent in renewal. <laughs> and so we have the mission of the triune God, but he primarily uses his word to change people. So when we think of the power of the Holy Spirit, I think a lot of times we think of signs and wonders and can we do these miracles and so forth and so on. But m- much of the time, it's actually the power is found in their speeches. And if you go through Acts, Hmm. The power that they have, actually, much of the book of Acts is just contained in speeches. And so when you w- the power of the Holy Spirit it is actually the power to speak of what God has done both in our lives and all of creation. That word then goes forth and it starts to change people's hearts. And just thinking about mothering and fathering, like sometimes it feels like we're just day in and day out going through the grind of every day doing the same thing, same thing, same thing. But as you're telling them, the word, which is either the scripture or even how the word has affected you, we're trusting that God's going to take that word and plant it deep into their hearts and it's going to grow up and it's going to produce fruit. And so we're trusting him that that word, we feel like our words are not powerful, but if it's his words, it is powerful. It doesn't feel powerful sometimes. And I think the apostles probably felt that way too. They're speaking and they're like, what? I like to think that they think what just happened and then all these people become saved, right? Because the Holy Spirit is actually empowering their words. Life is crazy sometimes and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. Just to bring it back to a more practical every day, I think as we wake up, even as we're dealing with young children, that we can just pray like, Lord, use my words to mold and form them because we know that your word is powerful. And as I share that word with them, that that will form them. It's just so encouraging to me. Like, I think a lot of times we think we need a new word and it's like we have the word like and we have access to it by God's grace we just celebrated the reformation like reformation day a couple of days ago like we have access to the words of God like pretty much anywhere any place anytime because of all the things that we have access to and so it just makes me so grateful to know that I do have a ready help in the spirit who resides in me to talk to the Lord, to ask for his help and to reach for his word and to ask the spirit to help me better understand and apply the truths of the word to my day-to-day life. You know, you referenced the local church and that's been another part of this series that we've talked about how we were saved. We're part of a people. We're not just like individuals out here on our own. So how does the church, both local and global or universal, play into the mission of God? Yeah, I think a lot of times when we think of the mission of God, we think more individually, how should I join the mission? 
Which is great to think through. Like you need to think through that. Like when uh, the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? That's an individualistic question. That's okay to ask that. What must I do to be saved? But in Acts, you notice that the spirit falls in the community as a whole. It doesn't so much fall on individuals. It falls on communities as a whole. So as Pentecost, the festival is actually where all the Jews would gather back in is a pilgrimage festival, right? And that's when the Holy Spirit falls. And so there's something about God remaking his community and he calls them in to send them out. So what you get in Acts is <laughs> this kind of pairing between they go out, they share the good news, and then they're persecuted. They come back in and they pray and they encourage one another. And then they go out and they come back in. They go out, they gather and they scatter is another way hmm. to put it, right? And I think that's exactly how God has set up this whole thing. The local church corporately is joining God on this mission. And we gather back together to encourage one another, to remind ourselves of these truths. But we gather back together in order to be sent out again. Because you th mm. even think of it like an American type church. We meet for an hour and a half, an hour, whatever it is, right? That's a very short time <laughs> in our week. Mm -hmm. But... The point is that we are formed in that. We are reminded of what we believe. We confess what we believe. We sing with one another. We encourage one another. And then we go out on mission day in and day out. We actually have more time in that sense devoted to the mission. That's another way to think of even your own personal times with the Lord is that you're you're feeding from his presence so that you might spread his presence to others. Mm. And it's so easy to lose sight of that and to think, well, I'm just doing this as a kind of self-help thing. No, you're, you're doing this because you want to love God and love others. And the way to love others is to point them towards God and to tell them about what he's done in your life and what his presence means to you and how he has promised really his presence to anyone who will confess and believe in him. And so the local church, we could say so much, like it's supposed to train us up. It's supposed to send us out. It's supposed to support us. It's supposed to encourage us, but it's, it's vital. We don't, according to Acts, you don't have a mission without the local church. The local church is the mission. <laughs> it's to bring people into that community and to meet with God together. Mm, that makes me so excited. And, you know, we just moved from the New England area to Northwest Arkansas. So basically, extremely postmodern context to the center of the Bible Belt. I don't know where the exact like center of the Bible Belt is, but I think I'm in it. And it was interesting because being up in New England, there was persecution of the church. I'm not going to lie. There was opposition to the gospel in New England that I do not experience here in Northwest Arkansas. You know, I think we lose touch with the reality that there has historically been opposition to try and snuff out God's mission. So how has that happened? Has What efforts have there been to overthrow the plan of God? And how has God ensured that his mission will continue even in spite of opposition? If I'm just going to the book of Acts again, I, we could speak more broadly. But when you think of opposition in the book of Acts, you think of external and internal opposition. So when I say internal opposition, remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Like there is opposition there in terms of, is this community actually going to follow God's commands? There's also opposition in Acts 6, where the Hellenistic widows are being neglected in the daily distribution. And the church has got to figure out, like, how do we provide for them? How do we support them? And it ends up being like an administrative issue that they've got to deal with. So there's opposition in terms of us just getting our stuff together. And basically, will we actually follow God and his commands or not? 
And I think included in that, in terms of the internal opposition, is the forces of darkness are trying to pull us away. They're trying to separate us. They're trying to disunify us. They're trying to get us to, I mean, Anna and I, since Spyro, we're trying to look good in front of other people. Mm-hmm. They were saying, look, we sold this whole property. We're giving you all the money. And the Holy Spirit gave Peter, you know, like some pronouncement that they were lying. He says, you're lying. You want to look good in front of other people. And that what a challenge that is, right? We are so often trying to look good in front of other Christians. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira were doing. And they were struck dead at that moment because God was saying, my temple people will be holy and pure. Hmm. You do not mess with them. <laughs> and we could say a lot more about that because that troubles people. But that's how seriously God takes the holiness of his own community. So the opposition comes from inside, but you can also see in Acts that it comes externally. It comes from the temple leaders. So they go into the temple. And really what's amazing is, you know, we think, okay, these are the bad guys, but these are the religious authorities. These are the people who have run the temple system and they oppose the spread of resurrection life, the resurrection of Jesus. They say, don't preach And so you have these external forces who are telling them to stop. And the apostles just say, we we can't obey men. We have to obey God. So they're thrown into prison. Stephen's killed. James is killed in Acts 12. And so you see opposition coming. And where is that stemming from? Well, again, ultimately it's stemming from the dark supernatural forces want to bring death, not life. And so they will do everything they can to stop this message from going forth. And We've got to remind ourselves every day we wake up, the forces of darkness do not want us to spread this light. They only want darkness in the world and they will do as much as they can to stop it. And so every day we're engaged in that supernatural battle. We could say much more, but that's a start. Absolutely. I think that's something that we just lose sight of, you know, especially here in, I know we have listeners all over the world, but for those of us, the predominant listenership is in the United States. And for those Mm -hmm. of us who are in the United States, that's just something that we don't think about every day. And it was serviced so well to remember that. Like I need like a sticky note by my bed, like you, this is a war. Like we've got to remember that. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like how does God's mission impact our day-to-day lives? Yeah. I mean, I, I think we need to awake every day, remembering that we are joining God in this mission. So I was just trying to think practically for people my wife has young kids. We have four children, 11 to four. So sometimes she's, I think she wonders like, how, how is this impacting the mission of God? Like, am I joining him on the mission? But what she's doing and what young parents of young children are doing, if we were just to give that example, is that they are training up new citizens of that heavenly kingdom. They're the drill sergeants. They're the household managers, right? To form these young little hearts that will then hopefully one day also partake in that mission. And like, in one sense, there's no more important job than that. These young people are actually being trained in the liturgy, in the way we speak about God, in the way we pray to God, in the way we think of God. And that's like ground level. Like we think, okay, to join the mission of God is to go overseas and do this. Like, great. Yes, that that's there. But I think we forget that like every single action we take maybe put it this way. Every single action we take is either welcoming new creation or welcoming old creation. Yeah. You know? And so every action we take, whether it's kindness to a neighbor, sharing the gospel with a neighbor, you know, befriending someone at work who needs a friend or at school, it's either shining light on kingdom realities 
or saying, I'm going to let a little bit more of the darkness spread over this world. And so it's such a big topic. It's sometimes it's hard. It feels like to get like practical, the mission of God. Wow. It's to see him, the kingdom established, but we need to remember that that's kind of the warp and woof of our life. Like this is why God says the ultimate commands are love God and love your neighbor. And that mission can occur anywhere, like no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what age you are, no matter who you are, whether if you're a five-year-old, I'm telling my kids, you go to school and you love God and you love others. You love them for who they are. You respect your teacher. You do your schoolwork well, and you spread the light of Jesus. I'm not saying they have to be the most amazing missionary kid at the school and be sharing the gospel every day. I'm just saying like, show forth the light of Jesus at your, wherever God places you. And so it's important to remember wherever we are, God calls us to join him in that mission. Mm, I love that. One of the things I do love to do, because we're talking about these big theological topics, is to try and bring them down to earth, like you said, into practical steps for listeners who are walking away from this conversation and who really want to put into practice what we've talked about. So what's one practical step for people who want to just either grow in their understanding of the mission of God or to just go on mission for God. For me, I was thinking as you were talking, I'm like, you know, if somebody really wants a practical step, you put it so well when you said, join a local church, like just join a local church and become like a vibrant member of that church community and join with them as they go out on mission for the glory of God. But do you have anything else that you'd like to add or even just a practical help? It could be anything really, Patrick. Yeah, honestly, I I mean, I want to think both individually and corporately. And as you said, I think joining a local church is probably the best thing you can do because God is working in communities. And so he's sending people out and we're supposed to get together and do that. Maybe more at an individual level, I would just encourage people honestly, to spend time with God and be reacquainted with his presence and how beautiful it is. Because I think typically we aren't telling other people about who he is because we're not as excited about who he is, right? And that takes work, honestly, because sometimes it feels boring or dull. And I would just say, like, whenever you can spend time with him through his word, and become reacquainted with him so that when you walk around and you see people, you want to tell other people about him. We talk about what we're most excited about, right? <laughs> so I'm excited about the movie Dune. So I'm t- talking to everyone about Dune right now. Um, <laughs> I've heard but, it's really good. I, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> but if I'm excited about what God is doing in this world, then I'll talk to other people about that as well. And so just reminding ourselves, what it, we can, it's so easy to lose sight. What is God doing in this world? He is recreating all things. And that is like the biggest vision that you can ever have. Like we can talk about politics and fixing things and people talk, love to talk about that. But really we're, we're saying everything's going to be overhauled. Everything is going to be fixed. Like what bigger message is there? And I think that oftentimes God just allows us as his people to walk through various degrees of suffering so that we can testify to that all the more potently. And that's definitely what I'm walking through right now. And God's word has been so life-giving in the midst of really maybe one of the greater measures of suffering that I've ever experienced on this side of eternity. So I'm really grateful for your encouragement to that end. I really hope that the listeners will take that to heart. Studying God's word is definitely one of my simple joys. 
I would love to hear from you, Patrick. What are three of your simple joys? And since we're doing kind of a Knowing and Loving God series, what are three of your simple joys when it comes to knowing and loving God? So like in terms of simple joys of how I'm communing with Him or just in my life more generally, either one or both? Yes, both of the above. (laughs) Okay. One simple joy, and I've, I've kind of alluded to it a few times here, is I've been trying to practice contemplative prayer more. So I heard on a podcast recently, podcasts are good. See, right? You hear things on podcasts that help you. <laughs> that a lot of times we come to God as a transaction. It's just, hey, can I have this? Help me here. I love you, but can, can you do this for me? You know, so it, it becomes a transactional meeting. Yeah. And one pastor is just encouraging uh, me and us as listeners to just honestly like sit down, open the Psalms, take a verse and just sit there for five minutes and just meditate on it. Yes. And just kind of to be in the presence of the Lord. I've been trying to get up early and just do that. So I've been going, started in Psalm 90. I didn't want to start at the beginning because I started at the beginning of the Psalms a lot. So I started in Psalm 90 and I just read the Psalm and I take one phrase and I just kind of sit there silently and I just mull it over in my mind and think about it. And usually I get distracted about two seconds in and then I come back, <laughs> I come back to the verse and then sometimes I'll fall asleep and then I'll come back to the verse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, I get distracted, but that's like a, hu- that's a human reality and I'll get distracted a bunch of times, but I just kind of keep saying like, here I am, Jesus speak to me. Yeah. And then I go through the Psalm and I read it and I meditate on it. And it's just, honestly, just to spend time in his presence through his word has been so life-giving to me recently. I know that's so simple and people are like, yeah, do you have anything (laughs) better to share? But we get going so fast and we forget about those times, you know? And like, the other thing I'd say, I guess this is one thing, not three, but I'm talking for a while, so you can tell me just to be quiet after this, but (laughs) to sit in silence. That's what I do. I sit in silence and just say... Like, Lord, I need that time of silence where I'm not asking you for something. I'm just meditating on who you are and I'm recognizing I'm here and I want more of your presence with me today as I go out. Yeah, that's what's one simple joy in terms of being with God. The other simple joy in terms of my life, this is more secular, (laughs) not spiritual. Our um, elementary school is only like a half mile from our school. So we've been walking our kids to school. And I think it's so fun to like not be in the car. And to actually like walk with your kids. And sometimes they hate it, but I love it. I'm like, this is so fun just to like walk with them to school and talk to them about their day and so forth. So I am a big believer in walking. I lived in Portland most recently and it's a big walkable city. So I love the idea of walking places. So I've really enjoyed doing that. I love how we both kind of like went from these extremely secular like points <laughs> of the U.S. and like moved central. I know that's a tough transition, um, but man, I certainly love just thinking about the three simple joys that I drew from what you said is just time in God's word, time in prayer and time in silence before the Lord. And that's definitely things that I have really been appreciating, especially in a really challenging season. I keep trying to grapple for a book that'll speak to me in my particular kind of circumstances like there's really nothing better than God's word. And especially as parents, like we've talked about a lot today, I really feel like a lot of times we only have time for one book. (laughs) So praise God for it. You know, another question that I ask every guest who comes on the show, because I recognize um, the value in exactly what you're talking about, just coming alongside others and encouraging them to know and love God and just to remind them who God is. 
And that's really what we do here on Journey Women. So we'd love to hear from you. Who is it that's had the greatest impact on the way that you know and love God? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's got to be my parents. That, so my dad does the same thing I do, <laughs> which is actually I do the same thing my dad does because he did it first. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like we're in this kind of very scholarly <laughs> world. But what I love about my parents is they're the most like down to earth, practical, yeah. everyday, day in, day out. You can ask my dad any question about the Bible and he'll be able to answer. But at the same time, like they have people in their home all the time. They're just a model of like loving others. And so although he like writes 800 page books and although my mom is just a amazing servant, like they just they just really embody the love of Christ. They do so through the local church and then they do do through, so through relationships. I'm always shocked. You know, as a kid, I was always annoyed, but we, our house would be like a hotel with people just coming in and staying. But it's because they um, form like long-term relationships, like that people, yeah. people have really like connected with them. You know, there's those certain people who like, you'll be friends with for the rest of your life. I feel like they have a ton of those. And I'm like, how do you guys have so many friends from all these stages of life? And I think it's just that they really love people. And I think that stems ultimately from a love of God and a love of his word. And that filters down into loving others. So they've formed me the most in terms of this knowledge and this study. It doesn't have to be divorced from actually practical implication. Yeah. Uh, well, I am so grateful for you helping just kind of bring this big series down to the ground level for us. Thank you so much for joining me on the Journey Women podcast. It's been a joy to have you. Thanks, Hunter. Great talking to you. We pray that this conversation with Patrick moves you to join God in his mission by going and telling others about Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. If you are on the hunt for resources that can help you better understand how to do just that, check out our website, journeywomenpodcast.com. You guys, we have one more episode left in this series, Knowing and Loving God. If you have enjoyed this series, don't forget to shoot us an email or a direct message letting us know what you've learned and make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen so that you don't miss next week's episode with Nancy Guthrie. Hey, this episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. We are so grateful for them and for you. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.